Welcome to NEP On Location. Here we hit the road and have conversations with some of the brightest minds from the worlds of public safety, organized labor, communications, politics, and more. In this episode, Jim Oleski is on location at NEP's We Need to Talk Mental and Behavioral Health Conference in Las Vegas and has a conversation with Libby Timmons. Libby is a Tucson, Arizona-based therapist with decades of experience working with first responders to help them address their trauma and mental health challenges. Hi, this is Jim Oleski from NEP Media on location in Las Vegas at NEP Services We Need to Talk Behavioral Health Conference. Joining me today is Libby Timmons from Thrive with Chaos from Tucson, Arizona. Uh, thank you for joining us, Libby. Uh, if you can uh, just kind of introduce yourself and, and tell us about yourself and, uh, and the work that you do. Thanks, Jim. I am a therapist in Tucson. I've been in Tucson since 92. My first experience with first responders officially was in 1988 with Charlotte Mecklenburg Fire. I uh, responded to specific incidents to the fire station, but I have since discovered in the last few years that my original passion with firefighting, my first experience, I was about nine years old and I rode on a running board. Okay. Um, a lot of people don't know what those are these days yeah. because they don't allow it that. But my father in his uh, 20s, which would have been in the 45, 1945, was an ambulance driver. And at that time, the ambulance drivers were stationed at morgues. And he and my mother lived sure. in the garage over the ambulance. And wow. um, 20 years later, he was a, a furniture salesman. And he would um, get intoxicated and tell stories about picking up body parts. Okay. And as I've gotten into this field in the last 10 years specifically, I am very committed to do what I do so that we help uh, our first responders not have those stories in their heads 20 years beyond when they stop working in the field and that other kids don't get to see their parents have alcohol issues and tell right. those stories. So that's what put me here today with you and the seed and... Um, I'm, I'll joke, I'm older, I'm 63, and I figure I got about 10 years left of brain cells compared to what I did when I was in high school. Sure. So I'd like to dedicate the last 10 years of my brain cells to making sure that we've got some programs out there to help people start talking and uh, reduce the suicide rate, reduce the divorce rate, and those sort of things. So that's um, what motivated me to be here. And um, I'm working on developing some programs, a monitoring system. It's going to be called FLIP. Uh, the official name is First Life Intervention Program, and it's modeled after the pilot's uh, monitoring program. The doctors have one, the nurses have one. First responders don't have one. So they get in trouble, and they lose their careers. And right. then they sometimes take their life. And so um, the reason why we call it FLIP, it also means that we're either going to flip you off if you misbehave, <laughs> or we're going to flip your life into a good place. Okay. And so you, you, I guess some of your motivation was, was your family history working with first responders. What, what drew you into working with first responders? Well, when I was 28, my roommate was an EAP for Charlotte Mecklenburg, and she said, hey, will you go do this for me? Okay. And um, then I have gone on to do other kinds of therapy over the years. And about, about 10 years ago, somebody asked me to put together an uh, experiential workshop for first responders. My boss said, I think you could do this really well. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I did. And then I fell back in love with the community. Um, I have a lot of passion about what I watched and what I witnessed and what I saw. 
And I think I kind of have that weird sense of humor, dark sure. dark humor, that fits really well with that. Um, right, one right. of the psychologists that um, one of the apartments refers to me as a salty old broad. So, um, and the guys that come in and see me, they they um, often say, "Yeah, you're a salty old broad." <laughs> so, so our our first responders, a, a unique community. Uh, I mean, I, I've I've you're 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 not the first uh, professional I've I've spoken to today. <laughs> Um, and, 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 and that has, has hinted that, yeah, that this is not a world for all clinicians, um, that you, you sort of have to be cut from a certain cloth and it's just cause the, it's, it's a, it's an interesting sort of group of folks that you're dealing with. So, I mean, talk about that. What are some of the issues that you are, are commonly, you know, seeing and, and are those unique to, to first responders? Are they unique to just high stressful, you know, environments or, you know, what are, what are things specifically about first responders, um, that, that we all need to be looking out for? I think, well, the cultural competency is really important. Like I consult with some treatment centers around the country to make sure their therapists are culturally competent because one of my biggest pet peeves is people say they work with first responders but they don't really understand the culture, like what you're asking. It's like, I see that, you know, you shared your firefighter as well, and the brains are different. Your personalities are different. Um, it's like working with a, um, a tech person, and their interest and the way their brains work are totally different than a first responder. You know, if I'm with a tech person and I'm on an airplane and somebody calls for a doctor, that tech person's going under the seat right. and ignoring. A first responder's like, here I am, here I am. And it's just a part of their, their world and that their brains are kind of set up to run into that adrenaline or that cortisol rush. I think sometimes people do that because they grew up in family systems where they were hyped up because of their own trauma. Sometimes it's just a matter of their interest. You know, I have a young woman I'm working with who's a dispatcher, and she said she's wanted to help people all of her life. And she can't think of any other way to help people other than to be a dispatcher. Um, So I, I think that... There's, with that over time, though, because of the academy and because of the sleep issues and because of the challenges that you guys face, you know, your brains are, our brains as human beings are not meant to see and do what you guys see and do. But you adjust. And as you adjust, then sometimes there's consequences for that adjusting. Sometimes it's fun consequences because, you know, you have a really great sense of humor. Um, It's pretty dark at times and can be very sarcastic at others. But your hearts are the biggest gold. You know, it's like um, one of the presenters this morning said, when you're in this family, you're never alone. And I I really respect um, the work that first responders do and how they have each other's back. In so many different ways. Yeah, I, I think it's you know it's long been the, the, especially in the fire service, the sort of the, the coffee table at the firehouse has sort of long been studied as you know the place where everyone's problems get solved, and I, I think there's there's some strength in that tradition, you know, in that we're not working in, in, you know, sterile office buildings with human resources, persons, you know, policing our political correctness. You know, I mean, we we may be out on the street dealing with something that's just beyond horrific or just weird or just unusual uh, you know i think it's healthy to pr- come back and yeah maybe it's dark humor but you're we we, we talk about it and mm-hmm. and that is one positive you know cultural thing that the fire service has always done but I, i've seen i've been a firefighter now for 26 years um i feel like as of late and this is a good thing um taking that further going beyond just the coffee table 
going into a, a more structured, professionally supported mental and behavioral health system has become normalized a little bit. Um, and, and that's a really good thing. I think we're still in the baby step you know, phases of that. But the fact that we're at a conference like this today, there, there's folks like you who, who are now regularly working at, you know, with, with first responders. Are you finding that there's kind of some more culturally accepted, it's becoming normalized a little bit to, hey, it's okay to seek help. It's okay to build resistance. It's okay to talk about this stuff. Uh, are you seeing that professionally? Yeah, what I, one of the things that I see is that, as, as as I said, I'm 63, but as my age group retires from leadership, the younger age group is coming in and more willing to support that and encourage it. It's, it's We're hopefully moving out of the suck it up by your bootstraps, sure. don't talk about it, push it down. With the newer generation, if people criticize the gen, multi-generational Zs, X, whatever, millennials, but there's a part of that world where they're much more willing to ask for help or they're much more willing to call somebody out that, you know, hey, you need to go talk to somebody or they're more willing to volunteer to be a peer support. And I think because of that culture coming in, we're starting to break that cycle. And I think the fact is, is that the suicide rates are so prevalent and right. it's so talked about that again, the your generation is beginning to say, let's let's set this up. Let's have this conversation around the coffee table. It's not just dark humor, but let's talk about did you see your your child's face and that face of the child we just you know pronounced? Yep. Um, and and I don't think my generation was that open to that. They right. were of that suck it up. And and so I, I'm glad to see the changes. I'm glad to see that there's conferences like this that are titled. I mean, that was the thing that got me. We need to talk. Right. You right, know, right. we need to talk and we need to continue to talk. Yeah. No, I, I think that's um, firefighters and, and law enforcement have always been good in, in speaking to each other. Uh, but speaking to the outside has always been, you know, we might not be afraid to, to go after a bad guy or run into a burning building, but talk to somebody other than someone in your service uh, has long been a, a challenge. And um, yeah, no, I, I think, I think great strides have been made to, to normalize um, that on, on many fronts. So um, the fact that a lot of organizations are, are slowly moving forward, as you said, as some old school folks are, are retiring and a new generation of leadership and, and things are coming forward. What are what are some things that that you could give as advice to an agency, an organization, a labor organization? If hey, we don't have anything, how do we start? How do we start to um, put material in front of our or put resources in front of our membership um, to help change that culture, to help normalize this? Like, what what are some advice uh, you know or some success stories that that you could share uh, for places that maybe you're starting on square one? Square one. Gosh, starting at square one, I understand that is the conversation we had a few minutes ago. But I think that the more the trainings, the more that you can find the funds through wellness grants or things like that to send your peer support people out to trainings like this, um, then they can take it back to their departments. 
There are so many different resources. There's um, the one of the treatment centers I work with. We have a sensory room. It's run by occupational therapists. And then when the people leave that treatment center, they go back, and a lot of them are taking it back to their departments. And they're really daily skills. Like when you come back from a, a, a scene, to go into the room, turn the lights off, turn these lights on that are calming lights, weighted blankets. So the more tools, so I've put that in two fire departments in Tucson and the 911 command center. And the command center um, really struggles. 911 people are often, you know, not realized how they are. And we have a waiting list that on some days they, they sign up and go in after an event. So the more tools, there's so many tools out there, the more tools, the more training that the peer support. There's wellness now, people. So many departments have wellness directors, sure. right? Yep. And so to use those wellness directors and don't look at them as the bad person coming in. Right. You know, there's some, I'm a certified employee assistance professional. And every time I talk to a first responder about their EAP, they look at me and run because they have so many bad experiences with EAP. Sure. And so I think that the more the peer support and the more that the union leaders, the union uh, peer members or the union presidents understand these things, the more they can seek out culturally competent uh, environments. They can seek out culturally competent people. The Fraternal Order of Police has a whole vetting system for their wellness. So I went through the vetting system not long ago. You know, somebody said, well, why are you doing that? You've been around for so long. And I said, because I want to prove that there are some EAPs sure. out there sure. that are culturally competent. Yeah, because that, that, that message comes back often um, from members who have reached out to EAP or have gone to counselors or therapists who say, you know, either I, I can't help you or, uh, you know, or just really sending them in a direction that they don't feel comfortable. Um, and yeah, now that, that, that's a, a critical component of this to, to identify to having a vetting process, but even to understanding that as a union leader or as a fire service leader, there's resources that I can go to that, that, that are showing me who these vetted folks are. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think people would even know, oh, that exists. Like I, I can, I can, I can look up who is is culturally, you know, rel- uh, competent, as you said, you know, to our field. I think that's that's been maybe part of the missteps that's happened for a long time, and um, it's really it's kind of exciting um, that, that 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 that's all coming together at the same time. Like you said, these generational changes are happening in police and fire and and, and emergency services um, that are open to these uh, kind of ideas. Uh, you talked about wellness. Um, I feel like a big big word these days, you know, is resiliency. And, and it's how do you, you know, how do you keep yourself resilient to, to keep problems from happening? And that's really no different than long-term injury prevention. You know, I mean, we all, you work in public safety for a long time, you're probably going to hurt your back or your shoulders, or your knees. I mean, it's, it's part of the job. Um, getting folks to accept that, hey, you're, you're probably going to, you're going to hurt your, your, your brain. You're going to hurt, you know, yourself emotionally during these times too. And, that's okay. And in the same way that you, when you hurt your shoulder, you, you, you go to the doctor, maybe you go to physical therapy and you're back on the street. It's the same. How do you normalize and, and have resources available? I mean, do, do you have any, you talk about wellness and, and I mean, do you have any more insight on that? I, I think that's a, a hot topic these days. Oh, I think that's huge. And I think the people don't always understand what wellness is. First off, they think, well, it's nutrition or they think it's exercise, but it's mind body. 
right? Is if you don't take care of your mind, you can exercise forever. You know, right. it's like Dr. Williams talked about this morning, right? You can exercise forever, but you also have to take care of your mind as well. You know, and so do you do deep breathing? One of the things I talk about, I teach people the box breathing, you know, where you breathe in for four seconds and out, you know, very slowly in a box. And if you do that five or six times a day, then your body gets used to doing that. And right. so, like, I have a couple of my folks that, uh, some of my law enforcement, before they actually go into a call, they take that 12 seconds mm -hmm. and do a box breathing before they get out of their car and answer the call. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I work a lot with the Border Patrol because I'm in Tucson. And, and same thing, they're sitting there really morally struggling with what they see and what they're experiencing and what their jobs are. And so the more they take care of their mind, the more they find um, a balance with that. Um, so it's about looking at gratitude lists, you know. Um, there's a lot of people in 12-step programs that are like, oh, I don't want to make another gratitude list. Please don't make me make another gratitude list. But, you know, sometimes that gratitude list will shift the brain. And we just want to change the, the thinking. If you, if you put your feet on the ground and you look down at them and you move them a fourth of an inch to the right, Right. You already changed directions. Right, right. And so little tools like that that you see online, social media, podcast, anything like that that catches you. I One of the things I assign a lot of my folks to, there's a, I'm probably going to get in trouble with this, but there's a Netflix thing, Comedian Cars Having Coffee. With, with <laughs> right, 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 you, right, have, right. I don't yep, know if you've yep, seen it with yep. Jerry Seinfeld. So I assign people that. They have to come back and tell me. They're only 15, 20 minutes. And so I say, come back and tell me which was your favorite comedian this week. And it's just a matter of finding what may fit for me may not fit for you. Sure. And so as a therapist, my job is to have a lot of tools in my toolkit and to say, let's try this or let's try that. Um, but I also have to understand, like one of the things I encourage therapists to do is to do a ride along. Um, you know, there's a lot of departments like... There's a department outside of Tucson, and they were having some trouble with some well checks with the therapist. And I think the therapist is a fabulous woman, but I think she's kind of burned out a little bit. So okay. they were looking for something different. And so the chief said, would you do a ride-along? I said, when? <laughs> you know? And and my most important piece of this, the ride-along I got, the gentleman uh, I was riding with had a family emergency. And my business partner got a ride along in another city and she got a robbery and a car chase and I got a flat <laughs> tire. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to that department saying, dude, I need another ride along. Sure. But that's that brain, right? right it's like, right. you know, I was like, she got a robbery. I'm like, uh, the average person, if I said to one of my other friends at the social her, oh, my friend got a robbery and a ride-along, they're going to look right. at me like I've lost my mind. Right. They'd be sending you to a therapist. They would yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they yeah, would yeah. be. I'd probably get kicked out. But that's <laughs> um, So uh, law enforcement, firefighting, public safety is obviously, uh, it's a team sport. I mean, you're, you're put in individual situations, but we're in, it's a team sport. We're living together. In the fire service, we're literally living together. Um, you know, we're eating together. Um, how do we look out for each other? Um, you know, that it's often, you know, we can, we can talk about anything around the, the, the coffee table. We can, but, but sometimes it, it's awkward when, when you see one of your coworkers who you spend a lot of time with and they're a little off, what, what's advice you give to, to folks, um, on, on how do you approach, how, how do you talk to your coworkers and say, Hey, are you know, are you okay? Is everything all right? What kind of guidance do you have in, on that? So, um, you know, 
it's the most amazing thing. I say this to my clients all the time. You guys will take down anything as a team. But to talk about something that's hard to somebody else is almost impossible. It's like you get tongue-tied or cut in your mouth or whatever. One of my favorite lines in the first Harry Potter movie was Neville Longbottom at the end stands up to Hermione and Ron and all them and says, you can't go do that. And they, they freeze them and they go off and do what they're going to do. But Dumbledore gives him extra points because what Dumbledore says, it's easy to stand up to your enemies, but it's even harder to stand up to your friends. Right. And because Neville stood up to his friends, he gave the extra points. I have several people that have been through treatment, have been through therapy, and they call me and they say, hey, I'm worried about so-and-so. I'm like, well, go talk to him. Right. Yeah, don't talk to me. You don't talk to me? Yeah. What, what am I going to do? I don't know the guy. Right. You know, so I, I think it goes back to the title of this conference, We Need to Talk. And, and I think that being willing to talk to a friend that you're worried about and have them be mad at you is a whole lot better than not talking to them and getting a call that they took their life. Or that they're getting divorced because their wife's tired of their alcohol use or their rage attacks or those sort of things. And so the more you can do that and take the risk, they're going to be mad at you. That happened to me when I was in my 20s. Somebody said, hey, you're not, you know, we're a little worried. And I got mad. But I eventually listened. And yep. I made the changes that they were encouraging me to make. Yeah, it buys you the time to, to fix things. Whereas yeah. if, if you don't get that time, it's, it, the solution's, it's a permanent solution. It was a And it was like my whole world would have been so totally like wiped out and had, had I not listened to and believed that my friends cared enough about me to risk losing the friendship to speak up. Right. Yeah, well, that's some powerful advice. Um, Libby, how do people find you? That's a really good question. I'm not sure I really want to be found oh, all the okay. time. All right. All right. Um, I do have a website that okay. currently is up. It's called okay. it's LibbyTimmons.com. It's okay. pretty simple. Okay. Um, we don't have a website for Thrive yet. We're working on that. Okay. It's a fairly new adventure. Uh, but the best way is LibbyTimmons.com or if you're on LinkedIn, it's Libby E. Timmons. Okay. Um, and it'll say EAP first responders. And, you know, thanks for doing this. Thanks for allowing me to have this time with you and, and to put the word out. And please, people that are listening to this, if you're afraid to talk to a friend that you're worried about, face your fear, feel it, and do it anyway. All right, well, well, thank you for that advice. Thank you for uh, the hard work you put in every day. Thank you for your dedication to, to first responders. Uh, and, you know, again, thank you, Libby Timmons from Thrive with Chaos from Tucson, Arizona. Uh, and, again, this is Jim Oleski from NEP Media. I'm on location in Las Vegas at NEP Services. We need to talk behavioral health conference. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll uh, catch you next time. Thank you for listening to NEP on location and Jim Oleski's conversation with Libby Timmons. Remember to subscribe to NEP on location wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also reach us at nep.news at nepservices.com. And for the latest ideas and information from around the world of public safety, organized labor, communications, politics, and more, please visit our website at nepmedia.net.